humans, I'm Norma Jean, and welcome to Stay Wild, the podcast about how to keep your quirks in the wondrous world. This is episode number 36, and today we're talking to Soma Temple, who is a founder of Om Rudraksha and Bali Malas. Malas are a Hindu prayer bead. They're really, really prevalent in yoga and spiritual communities, and she has been pioneering bringing them to the world for a long time. So I'm so excited to share this interview with her. She is one of my inspirations. Om Rudraksha is a company that we work with at camp, and I am just beyond that she's here. Today's episode is brought to you by me, Norma Jean. I'm a singer, songwriter, daily doodler, podcaster, and founder of Camp Clarity, the transformational women's retreat in Bali. You can check out our upcoming dates, see all the details, watch videos, read testimonials at www.joincampclarity.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-A-M-P-C-L-A-R-I-T-Y.com. And here we go. All right, little humans, we are here today with Soma Temple, pioneer of the Mala Revolution, founder of Omru Draksha and Bali Malas. Welcome to Stay Wild. Hey, nice to be here. <laughs> I'm so excited you're on the show. You are just one of those people who is so positive and your energy is so amazing whenever I'm around you. So in general, you're just a beautiful human being and your journey has been incredible. Coming from the United States, Bali, India, and now back spreading a lot of that wisdom, a lot of that tradition to the world. So welcome. Yes, onto it's the been show. an amazing journey, and I'm just so grateful to be a part of this, to kind of help to awaken mankind and to help everyone remember who they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think in the West, a lot of the time, it's so easy to forget, you know, in the land yeah. of, you know, everybody winning all the time and unconscious consumption and you know keeping up with the joneses and seeing what's in front of you instead of what's inside of you i think it's so important to connect back into who we are so i'm so excited you're here on the show and tell us a little bit about your journey how you started out because you originally are from the u.s yes i'm originally from the united states and i always had a deep love of beads since I was a small child, I've been making beads of some sort. And I've always had um, a longing for some sort of spiritual connection. I found it as a young child in the church. and But I went, there's more. There's more than just this. There's something else. And I always was a seeker, let's say. And at 18 years old, I kind of went, oh, I don't want to buy the whole situation of the two-car garage and all the kids going to school and the this. I was a bit of a hippie and in a more alternative outlook on life. And at 18 years old, I picked up a, a strand of Rudraksha beads. And Rudraksha beads is the basis of our company and what we do. I had no idea what they were, but I was very attracted to them. Mm -hmm. And I started mixing them with gemstones and gold and silver and just mixing the beads in with other beads. And so that kind of started my journey with making malas, even though I didn't even know what a mala was or what Rudraksha beads were, but I was full on into it and using them, and I kept changing the strand over and over. And then I, after university, having kids before they went to start school, I really wanted to travel through Southeast Asia. 
and it was a big dream before we jumped into the whole thing and school and all the American dream. And this was like so, early 80s, right? Yes, this is in like 84. Okay. And I had two small children, and we'd been living in a teepee. I had my children, one of them in a teepee, and living on the land and really almost... Um, you know, being self-sufficient back in that time period, really understanding that we need to grow gardens and these kind of things. And so before we jumped into the mainstream of society, I took the whole family and we decided to travel through Southeast Asia for six months. Wow. And when I arrived in Bali, I was like, that's it. I'm home. Wow. Absolutely. And where in the U.S. were you beforehand? I was born in Michigan. I went to school in California, and then I moved to Sedona, Arizona, and that's where I was living when we took our first trip to Bali. Wow, okay. And Well, Southeast Asia, Thailand, Malaysia, we went all through, landed in Bali, and just went, wow, this is it. Went back to Sedona, packed everything up, and moved here. Wow. So 1984, that was 34 years ago, and you've been in Bali ever since. Yes, Wow. And I bring my kids here and helped to start the Bali International School here because I realized the kids needed to go to a school. So a few of us gathered and started the Bali International School, which today is one of the top schools in Bali. Yeah, it's definitely one of one of the best schools in Bali that you can send your kids to and they can go, you know, they can stay in Bali. Absolutely. But they can also, you know, move forward to an international education from there. So. That's yes, exactly. Amazing. Yeah. And at the time, there probably weren't those there weren't those resources, right? You had to create the things that you wanted to be part of. There was nothing when we came here. I mean, you couldn't even buy butter and bread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. So, no, the schools, they had only local schools. Our first school was, interestingly enough, one of the founders of Indo Bamboo, mm -hmm. their child. And a Laura who does all kinds of green projects, which I probably bet will be on this show one of these days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. she's great. <laughs> and Arif, who is also another bamboo founder in Bali, there was five children and we brought an Australian teacher in the beginning and we did our own school. And then it progressed into the Bali International School. So, yeah, it was interesting with five children here. We just started. There was no school here for Western children. And, uh, yeah, we just started it, wanted to live here, and saw what an amazing culture we lived in and what a place to bring up children. Their view of family and culture and community really impressed me. And just their re relationship to the land and to spirit and to each other and themselves, I, I just found it a very well-rounded view of life and said, yes, this is what I want to raise my kids in this environment. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Bali itself has changed a lot in the past 34 years. Absolutely. And it's, it's one of those places where every time I leave, whether it's for a couple of weeks or a year or two, it's different. It's so true. I mean, we've watched so many changes over the time period, obviously, when we were, since I came 34 years ago. Like I said, there wasn't even bread and butter. There was just local vegetables and fruits in the market. That was it. So I taught the maids how to make bread and just all the resources that were not available to us. But we loved it. You know, we had, you know, like 
one light bulb in your house and you could barely read, especially at night, you couldn't read by it, and just how it's progressed. But what has amazed me more than anything else is the way the Balinese have adapted to this. It's like going from the invention of the wheel to the 21st century in about 15 years. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, people talk about this all the time and and how Bali and how, you know, the, the cultures change so much. And I'm like, yeah, but the people have been so flexible and so adaptable. Absolutely. And it's funny because I hear people say this a lot about Bali. But for me, I feel that the Balinese themselves have really retained their culture in the midst of all of this modernization and you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Obviously, I used to worry about it 25 years ago, but I see how much their religion, their culture means to them. And I've seen it getting stronger and stronger. And I always tell people, just go 10 meters off the main road and you'll find real Bali. It's still there, even in downtown Kuta, downtown Simenyak. Just go in 10 meters off the road into the compounds where they live. And it's Bali's the same as it always was. With a little touch of worldliness that they understand that they're, you know, a small island in a big world that they now understand, but they still have retained their magic and their beauty and their gracefulness, in my opinion. And it's also become even stronger because they've had to hold on to it so they don't lose it in the midst of globalization and materialism and consumerism and all that goes on here in Bali at this point that I find they've held on to it even tighter. Like, okay, we are Balinese and we are going to be Balinese. And I love this. That's yeah. why I'm here. I love the Balinese people and their culture. For me, is the most enlightened culture that I've experienced in the world. You know, being in Bali, everything is connected to nature, to God, to being present, to, you know, your life isn't your job. Your life isn't one particular thing. It's a balance right? It's a balance within nature. And that's, you know, I think Bali is one of the few places in the world where that feeling and that value of being balanced and connected permeates the entire culture. I agree. I I see this because their whole philosophy, the basis of their culture is trihitakarna. And it's to be in harmony with yourself, in harmony with each other, in harmony with nature, and in harmony with God. Yeah, And it's a circle, and they just believe, and it's true. If we're in harmony with all those things, the world is in peace. Yeah, and they absolutely. do a good job of it. They do, and it's it's really incredible. Um, and I think also it's one of those things that when you're in Bali, that, you know, Trihitakarna is such a big part of the culture and of the society around you that you can't help but, you know, like you can't help but question whether you're in balance and then you bring consciousness to it and then you get back into balance with yourself, with others, with nature, with God. And a lot of people really come and reevaluate their lives and for Bali can be transformational for a lot of people. Um, and for, you know, those of us that have lived there for years, it's, it's definitely a different journey, but I, I find that, you know, there's no place else in the world where people are that conscious of being in balance with the world with God, with each other, with nature. And it's so prevalent. Um, when you first moved to Bali, were you down South by the beach or were you in Ubud? Um, it's funny enough. The first place I lived was in Ubud 
And then I left Ubud and came down into the Simanyak area. At the time, everyone was like, why do you live so far away? Because at that time, only Kutin and Legyan were developed. Simanyak was not developed at all yet. I brought uh, electricity to the village I was in. And now it's... <laughs> yeah, Semenyak now, for those of you listening, it's a little bit of a... It's a very interesting place because now it's become this hub of luxury lifestyle, you know, beach clubs, really high-end fancy restaurants, hotels, villas, nightclubs. It's, it's really changed. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> I can't even find anything anymore when I go there. Where am I? Yeah, there's big malls and Starbucks and... You know, it's definitely one of those things where, you know, you talk to anyone who lived in Bali 20 years ago and they're like, it was a beach. And now it's, you know, it, it, it a lot of people say it's very much like Spain or Miami or, yeah, yeah, it's very developed in that way. So at first you lived in Ubud, which has been my home for a long time. And what was it like back then? Um, Ubud back then was really revolved around the rice fields, mm -hmm. the ceremonies, a few restaurants and warongs that were local places to get food. And it was a very sleepy kind of lifestyle. Everyone was very friendly. Everyone was the famous saying back then when you'd ask someone, where are you going? Oh, I'm just eating the wind. I loved this. Mm. It, was a, it, just, it was a very relaxed place and yet full of creativity and artists and artisans. And that's what attracted me. A big part of what attracted me to Bali was the possibility to work with all these artisans because the Balinese at one point was considered the most developed um, level of craftsmanship in the world for their arts, their crafts. They're, they're incredible craftspeople. On, they can do anything with their hands. And so that was very touching for me to see being an artisan myself that, wow, I could have someone here make all these things instead of just me making them. And, yeah, I just saw their creativity is what really inspired me. And everywhere you look from their offerings, which is still today, um, the artisans and just the craftsmanship and the love that they put in, even into the offerings that they put in front of their houses every day that they make, it's, it's phenomenal. I think the creativity and level of that is really unique and so that really inspired me absolutely and there there is a there's an appreciation and cultivation of beauty I think in Bali that is unlike anywhere else in the world because it's incorporated to into the daily chores daily offerings that are put out on the street it's incorporated into art and the villages have these traditions of art you know where generations have been you know honing and refining very specific crafts where they are just I mean it's in their blood almost it's incredible from the wood carvers to the jewelry makers to yeah they're they're incredible and that's the one part that I will admit worries me is that we lose the artisans as they become more and more barristers and waitresses and in the hospitality realm that they lose those traditional arts which they seem to have in their genes. They're born with it. And so I really encourage people to get involved in the arts here and creativity and help these people to retain their creativity. And so that's one of the reasons why I 
you know, started with Omrud Rakshi was to take, allow these people to create every day. They love it. They're so happy when they can do this. Yeah. And it's an opportunity for us to share our craft in a bigger way or our art or our, yeah, whatever it is, our creative endeavors. They're amazing at it. And so I always encourage people to use the, to not use them, but to take advantage of being where they are, that they can have these incredible artisans to develop their, their craft, their inspirations, their ideas, because it's a place where you can really do that. Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk a little bit about the malas that you make, about Omer Draksha. So malas are not just a beaded necklace. Can you talk a little bit about Rudraksha beads um, and what makes them so special? Well, a mala basically is 108 beads and it has a guru bead, so it's actually 109 beads. And they've chosen the number 108. Um, it has many, many aspects in the world. You can Google it. What is the meaning of 108? You'll be shocked at the thousands and thousands of pages that come up. In almost every culture in the world, um, the numbers of nine and 12 have been used in many indigenous cultures. So when you add 9 times 12, it becomes 108. Uh, 108 has so many meanings to it. Like there's um, 108 lines that connect to make the heart chakra. There's in the Sanskrit language, there's 54 letters, 54 female, 54 male, so a total of 108. It's also a Harshad number which a Harshad number is you take its digits, 108, add them together, and it's divisible by the original number. So if you take 108, 1 plus 8 is 9, 9 into 108 is 12. And in Sanskrit, Harshad means great joy. And so it's really, Amala is a remembrance of who we are. And you can do many things on a mala, like people do japa, which is saying a mantra or a prayer as, as they hold each bead. And almost every religion has some form of mala, whether it's Hindu and Buddhist have more malas with 108 beads. They also have tasbehs in the Islamic culture, and they're 99 beads. Also, we have the rosary in the Christian culture. They all, all religions pretty much have some sort of prayer beads, and they, they you pray on them is different things. I mean, sometimes what I do on a mala is I take, when I wake up and it's that one of those days that you're just feeling a little bit off, you take it and I say something I'm grateful for on each bead. Hmm. It doesn't have to be religious. It can be anything. By the time I say 108 things that I'm grateful for, I'm usually in a pretty good mood. And the day proceeds in a much more pleasant way. They can be used in many ways, you know, and just to wear them, you can feel the energy of them that they protect you. And mainly, our malas are basically made out of the basis of our malas is Rudraksha beads. Mm. We choose to use Rudraksha beads in particular because they have a very ancient um, history. Yeah. They're the oldest prayer bead known on the planet, and they grow on trees, so they're sustainable. 
where you see a lot of stone beads, which are really pretty. And I also believe that they were given to us by the divine to use. But when you really delve into the mining practices of what goes on in stone beads, um, it gets into the area of blood diamonds and all of this. It's not such an ethical um, way of being and a way of um, producing these wonderful stone beads, which we all love and have great properties. I chose to use Rudraksha beads mainly because I was very attracted to them from a young age. And my teacher in India, Papaji, mm. or H.W.L. Punjaji is his real name, he one day looked for me everywhere, said, where is Soma? Where is Soma? Someone found me, and he called me into his house, and he sat me down, and he said, your mission in life is to spread Rudraksha beads around the world because Rudraksha beads bring peace to whoever is wearing them, and the world is in chaos. So if everyone in the world was wearing Rudraksha beads, the world would be at peace. And it's your mission to spread them to the West. They've been kept in India as sacred beads for many, many centuries. It's now time for them to go to the West. And this is your mission in life. And I was like, oh, wow. Wow. I have it's in private school. How am I, these, these sadhu beads, these hippie beads, I'm supposed to spread them to the West? But I said, okay, thank you, Papaji. And I started as a hobby. Hmm. And as I've said, I didn't mean to start a brand. I wanted to start a movement. Yeah, absolutely. And yep. how did you meet how did you meet your guru, Papaji? Uh, it's a very interesting. I had a, a cranial sacral massage from someone one day. I had heard of mm -hmm. him, but the last thing I wanted in my life was a guru or a teacher. I was like very anti that kind of culty, spiritual thing with a guru, disciple. I was always like, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, it's so funny. You know, I think when people find the, the spiritual lineage that really calls to them, a lot of the time they're like, what's this nonsense? And then they're like, oh, no, that's for me. <laughs> Exactly. That's what I was. It's like, oh, no, no, no. I always was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to know about that. I never went. I was always running away from anything mm -hmm. like this. But I had a massage one day, a craniosacral session. And for those of and you at home listening, sorry, really quickly, craniosacral is where people use very subtle movements to um, to move the bones in your head and to help um, re like recalibrate the the way that fluid moves in your spine. So it's really subtle work, but it's incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. Yes, and this one was very powerful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, uh, in the middle of it, all of a sudden, the only way I can describe it is that every cell in my body woke up. And it was as if everything became crystal clear, like in a moment. And the man giving the cranial sacral session said to me, this is who you really are. Mm -hmm. And that was the only thing he said in an hour and a half. And I sat there dumbfounded, having visions of this man. And I was like, this is so strange. So the massage finished, you sat up, I said to him, what was that? And he said, well, I've just been with this man in India his name is Papaji, 
And I recognized you were seeing your true self, the essence of who you really are in this moment. And I was like, oh, wow, I have to go see this man. <laughs> it was the most profound experience of my life at that point. Wow. And, and had, you, so, had you been yeah. to India before? No, I actually didn't want to go to India. I had no draw, no calling, no wanting to go there. It was actually almost the opposite, like, oh, India. But the minute I heard his name, when he told me his name and this experience I had, I said, I have to go. And two weeks later, I had bought a ticket and was went. Wow. wow. And when I arrived there, I was scared to death. My last flight, I was the only woman on the flight and the only Westerner on the flight. And I'm like, oh, my God, what have I done? Like, <laughs> what am I doing? Just <laughs> so I took a taxi and jumped to went to the best hotel in the town yes. and checked in. And the woman at the desk, I was like the manager, she came up to me and she said, oh, why are you here? And I said, oh, I've come to see this man, Papaji. And she said, oh, he's wonderful. And she said to the girl, give her a 50% discount on her room bill. And she asked me, have you ever been to India before? And I said, no, and I'm totally scared. And she said, okay, I pick you up personally, and I drop you at his place where he gives satsang every day tomorrow morning. Wow. So I was like, Wow. Amazing. It was like Grace really took care of me. It just held me and brought me there. And in the morning, she takes me, she drops me off in front, and there's people lining up. I have no idea what to expect, what I'm going to see. I just said, okay, here I am. I got the message to come. Here I am. And this woman came out, beautiful woman from Chile, and she looked over the crowd of people, and she said, is there anyone that is here for the first time? And I, being a little bit shy, and I don't like to stand out, really, I didn't say anything, but she sees me, and she said, hey, you, please, come here. And she came, and she put me dead center in front of Papaji. And he walked into the room, and I knew the moment I saw him, my life would never, ever be the same. There was an instant recognition of, wow, this is what I've been looking for all my life. And it was that instantaneous, and I never looked back, and I never had a doubt. Wow, <laughs> so. that's spectacular. And I think that's that's so beautiful, you know, just coming to India and, you know, taking the leap. Because when we know something's right for us, right, it's the universe aligns in so many ways, little ways and big ways, where that enable us to really do things that are so outside the box but looking back on them make total sense and are so divinely guided and beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so true. It's important to just take that leap of faith. When you get that calling, follow it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so had you worn yeah. mala beads before Papaji gave you this mission or was it just like, okay, <laughs> I'll do this now? Well, yeah, funny enough, as I said, I had bought a strand when I was 18 years old, and I still have them. Mm. And I kept taking them apart and mixing them with uh, stones. 
and gold and silver beads and just I had no idea they weren't 108 and I still have it and it's not 108 beads but I just love the Rudraksha beads at that point I before I met Papaji no I had not worn a mala wow not a proper mala wow and so it was just then it, it just took off and at first you said you came back to Bali and you were just making them for friends as a hobby how did Om Rudraksha and Bali Malas get started? Well, it took me a long time to find actually the Rudraksha beads themselves. Mm. So when Papaji told me this, I kept looking for them because one of the things he said is that the best quality Rudraksha beads in the world are close to where you live. They come from Indonesia. And that really surprised me. And then I remembered, then in India, I saw when Indians would offer you Rudraksha beads, if you want the really high quality, here's some from Indonesia. So I knew they were here, mm. and I looked and I looked and I um, find them. And finally, one day, strangely enough, Amala appeared in my, at this point I was already wearing malas that Papaji had taught me a little bit in India about Rudraksha beads and had shown them to me and we were in stores in Rishikesh when he explained different things about Rudraksha beads. Mm. And so I was already wearing them at that point and all of a sudden in my closet here in Bali, a strand of Rudraksha beads was in my closet and I was like, wow. Okay, that's a sign I have to get more serious about this because where did this come from? Yeah. And yeah. to this day, I don't know where Mala came from, but it was in my closet. And then just one thing led to another. I met someone who knew someone that had was making Rudraksha beads and selling them to India. So I immediately contacted them and went and visited them. And I just was overjoyed. I was crying. I was dancing. They had... A warehouse full of them. Wow. And it started with that. And they were a Indian couple that actually lived in Java. And they were sell- sending them all to India. Wow. And nobody here in Indonesia had any idea about Rudraksha beads. And so this was in 93. And so I started with buying from them and just mixing them with stones and and Rudraksha beads and just making malas for my kids, for my friends. And just I always had played with beads my whole life. So that came naturally to me. Mm-hmm. But I never thought it would turn into a business. I just thought, okay, I start to spread them a little bit. And then one day I saw a girl out in front of my house with tiny, tiny beads making like a bag. And I said to her, what are you doing? And she said, oh, I'm beating this bag. I work for these people, but they don't pay me very much. It takes me a week to make one, and I get, you know, very little money. And, Mm. yeah, it was interesting. I said, oh, here, maybe you want to try to make one of these. So I laid it all out. I had these boards where I I put them all in, like, a design, Mm -hmm. and I gave it to her, and, like, I don't know, hour later, she came back, came, brought it back to me. Wow. Finished, and I was like, okay, so I gave her more, and it started like that. And then all of a sudden, I started putting them in stores here, and I had a few people, and then that were 
interested in them. And then I said, okay, I'm going to try and go to the Tucson Gem and Mineral Show and take these there and see. So we started to, I had by this time, maybe a couple of people working for me. Mm-hmm. And we took a few. We made a lot of stock. I went to Colorado and I met with some friends of mine there. And they got extremely excited about it. Wow. And they said, oh, we want spread them to the West. And that was where Balimalas was developed. Wow. And I said, I have a great name for it, but I have been debating whether to use Omrud Raksha or to use Balimalas, but I like to keep the sacredness of the name of Om mm. and Rudraksha. But in the West, I think Balimalas is a better name. They said, yeah, that's perfect. And so we just started like this. Their name, Karen and Jay Robinson in Boulder. And we just started really not having any idea. She was not a businesswoman. I was not a businesswoman. We were both very much um, moms mm. and craftspeople. You know, I was an artisan. I always had done some sort of craft, and mo- mainly with beads, doing American Indian beadwork and things over the years. So we just started with full heart and full innocence, and it developed into this, as I said. I didn't intend to create a brand. I wanted to create a movement of people wearing Rudraksha beads and to bring peace into their life and to help them find out who they are, their destiny. Of I really believe in the power of the Rudraksha beads. So for me, it got really exciting all of a sudden as it really is taking off as Papaji had told me to do. And yeah. then slowly, slowly, people from all over the world having distributors in different countries, and it just kind of snowballed into... A worldwide brand. Yeah, because I mean, it's it's one of those things where, you know, Om, Om Rudraksha and Bali Malas are so ubiquitous in terms of malas these days, and people from all over the world are buying them all over the world and wearing them all over the world, and it's so incredible. In Bali specifically, you know, you see them everywhere, and it's it's so beautiful, and it really, I think people really do connect a little bit more with who they are, and it really just brings brings people back to who they are and and just brings back that recognition and that balance that's so incredible and I think also you know having that creativity and being able to you know just say yes and knowing that you always loved beating and just going for it is so amazing and as a, a a woman business owner it's all it's also one of those things where you're a minority a lot of the time like yeah. owning a business as a woman, like it's the same, but sometimes it's not. And so the fact that you teamed up with another woman and just went for it is, is incredible. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of it. Just following your intuition and your heart and not having a business plan. People would ask us our business plan. We'd look at each other and laugh. Yeah. Like, well, I don't know. We just want to spread malas around the world and <laughs> people when we first start doing it also were asking what's a mala what's rudrakshas and i feel like now as you said they're everywhere in bali mm-hmm. the balinese have reconnected with them and it's part of their roots also that they lost over the years only the high priest and the padandas used to wear them and they were passed down from their ancestors from their roots in India. And so for me, it was really a beautiful to bring this back into them as part of their culture and to reintroduce it into their culture that they'd kind of lost it. 
and you see them everywhere. And the Balinese, so many, you see them wearing them underneath their shirts. And they really believe in the power of the Rudraksha beads also. And I think it's, yeah, it's just kind of phenomenal to see how it started with no business plan, no idea about how to do business and to create a worldwide business that is really empowering people in the world and is incredible. And I feel extremely grateful, yes, as a woman to do this. And also in India, traditionally, Rudraksha beads are not worn by women. No. Funny enough. No, it's really interesting. Yoga and Rudraksha beads are two of the biggest things, you know, spiritually to come out of India. And traditionally, they're for men. Yeah, exactly. Well, in the last so many centuries before that, it was not the case. And so it's kind of like it seems some of us are pioneers to bring back some of the ancient ways that got lost along the way when India got taken over by the West and the English and so many things like when the Aryans came to India, they suppressed the cultures of the goddess and all the divine feminine, which was very much alive in India at that point, And they were wearing Rudraksha beads. So all that and doing yoga and that was all suppressed. And it's a resurgent now of that, which is a really amazing because it's a really the balance between male and female that creates a divine unity. And it's beautiful that those two ancient things are coming back together to unite the male and the female, that it's not separate, that we can both wear Rudraksha beads and we can both do yoga. And it's one of the things that Papaji said to me when he told me to do this. He said, there's so many rules around Rudraksha beads. And he actually pounded his fist on the table and he said, it's not the time anymore. Women have been suppressed for too long. It's not the time anymore. It's time to break those rules and let everybody wear Rudraksha beads regardless of religion, sex, creed, color, um, choice of diet, doesn't matter. They're here to bring peace into our lives. And it's really important that we honor that at this point in time in the midst of chaos in the world, that they need them. And so, yeah. It's amazing how it just kind of developed. Yeah, absolutely. Had a life. Absolutely. Yeah. And now you have and now you have malas that are all Rudraksha beads. You have malas that also incorporate gemstones for different things that people want to highlight for different chakras, for different energies people want to bring in. And you also do mala making workshops, which is incredible. We did it at Camp Clarity, which was amazing. Um, and that'll be great coming up again. But malas also, they're they're tied in between the beads. Is that right? Yes. Uh, traditionally, yes. They're tied in between each bead, and it's no, they're knotted. And basically, I'm not sure. I mean, the thread is one of the symbols of the thread, is that it's each one of us is like a little knot or a bead. We are separate, but yet we're united as a whole. Mm. And that's the concept of it. And the thread is what runs through all of us. It's like the blood inside of each of us in the Mother Earth, and that connects us all. And so it's beautiful to have them all on a string and knot them. And from a practical point of view, when they break, they don't just, you don't lose all the beads. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you can bring them back to us, and we will remake them and um, 
give them back to you and re-energize them. We do proper ceremonies on them. We do activate them. We have learned from Papaji and also just studying the scriptures about Rudraksha beads, about how to activate them so that they have more power in them and really protect you. And yeah, it's fascinating. We do use the stones because they have incredible aspects and healing properties and can bring about changes in you and enhance things and just things that you're attracted to with the stones. And I also feel that plain Rudraksha beads mm, don't always entice just the normal person who's not really doesn't understand Rudraksha beads or malas because they're pretty. Rudraksha beads are kind of organic, brown-looking little seeds, yeah. whereas the stones sparkly, they have facets, and, you know, we like that kind of bling-bling. And so my idea was to entice Rudraksha beads by adding stones and gemstones and things, but they also enhance the power of the mala because they bring in other aspects and qualities. Yeah, absolutely. And for So it's kind of... Yeah, absolutely. And for those listening at home, what are some things that everyone who has a mala or who's about to go out and get one now that they've heard this interview, that now that they're listening, what are some things that they can do at home to activate their mala? Um, the easiest way is to just get a bowl of flowers, put your mala in it, put water in the flowers, and light some incense. And just say some prayers over it. And there is a traditional mantra that you can use um, that was traditionally used in India. It's Om Hrim Namah Shivaya. Om Hrim Namah Shivaya. But you can do anything and just activate it and put your intention into it, asking it to help you, to bless you on your path to awakening and the, and the path to finding out who you are. And it's quite simple. And I usually just, there's more evolved ways and traditional ways that are a little bit more intricate. But I find that just the simple one is enough. Like what I do is I put flowers in a bowl of water, mm -hmm. light incense, and then have another bowl of flowers without the water in it. I put the mala in the bowl of flowers with no water. And I say my prayers, my intentions, my wishes, what I want to do in this mala, what I want this mala to do for me. Mm -hmm. And then I take the water that's been in the flowers and I sprinkle it onto the mala itself. And again, say prayers and then put it on and just sit with it and hold it, letting it bond with you because it does actually connect with your energy. And the more you wear it, the more, the stronger it becomes to protect you. And they get darker with age the more you wear them. Like the one I wear every day is just plain Rudraksha, and it's black. Yeah, absolutely. Which I love and because it's... Yeah, the oils from your skin, the weather that, you know, your mom is exposed to, it all contributes. And I think as people go through, you know, their life wearing their mala, it's so beautiful because it does, like, you do, it does age, which is really nice. In a beautiful way. And it becomes actually stronger. Because it imbues, it, it absorbs your energy, and so it protects you more, and it becomes stronger and stronger within your, within each mala, to protect you. And you really feel it. Like once you wear them for a while, if you go someplace without them, you feel a bit naked, 
And I've seen so many men in particular go, oh, I don't wear jewelry. They can't take them off. And they go, I don't know, it's so weird. I just can't take this <laughs> off. There's something about it. I feel naked when I don't have it. That's so good. And I, I, I love, love it. it. I businessmen with these malas tucked underneath their shirt and tie you can't see them you know but they know they're there and feel them against their skin and I love this yeah absolutely absolutely and before we take a break really quickly I want to talk a little bit about the faces of Rudraksha beats Muki and that they have different meanings yes there's quite a science with the Rudraksha beads and they Generally, the ones that we use for all of our malas, they have five faces. And five faces in the Hindu tradition, it represents Shiva. Mm. And Rudraksha bees are known to be the tears of Shiva. And Shiva, when he was meditating upon the earth and humanity, he opened his eyes and saw how much we suffer and struggle and are challenged and he cried tears of compassion. And where the tears fell, Rudraksha trees grew. This is the legend. Mm. And I find it really beautiful. So generally, most malas are made of five mukis or five faces. And basically what it is, it's uh, on the bead. You can see itself. It has lines going down like sections of an orange almost. And you'll see five very distinct lines. Then they do have, at the same time, um, mukis that go from one muki or one face to 21 and even up to 24. I have seen and have uh, one that is 24 muki. And each bead with the faces, they have um, are related to a different god. Wow. And a different aspect of healing. And they're quite powerful and they're very sacred in my opinion. So I don't on a commercial basis deal with them very much. Mm. We do occasionally a certain mala that will have like a seven muki, um, seven face, which represents Lakshmi. And Lakshmi represents abundance. And I do have one mala that has that on it. We occasionally come out with one that has a seven muki or an eight muki, um, eight being representing Ganesha, which is the remover of obstacles. So they all have meanings, and they're quite strong. They're quite powerful. What I try to do with the mukis is I don't like to make money off of them. I like to just offer them uh, be a channel for them to come through me because I have access to them, to the people that really rever them and are really using them in a proper way, and such as priests and people from India that really do sadhana and understand the meaning of them. I've made many of these mukis, not malas, made from mukis such as they're called Siddhamala or Indramala mm-hmm. for some of the well um, teachers in India that have re- asked for them and that's just such a joy to be able to do that with the Mookies but it's it's a real science and I'm quite careful about that I want to make sure that I do it in really the proper way yeah absolutely and 24 phases I mean what does that even represent <laughs> like that's wild they, no it's not even in scriptures yeah wow that's incredible like the highest it goes is 21 and I just think oh 
we must need them in this day and age. The higher Mookies. Yeah. <laughs> I've only in all the years, the 20 years that I've been working with Rudraksha beads, I've only seen it twice. Wow, that's incredible. And one a very well-known uh, teacher in India, and the other one I still have. <laughs> wow, yeah, no, that's incredible. And it's so interesting that, you know, everything about malas is so intentional from you know, the, from the string that connects to the mala, you know, to the mala beads, Rudraksha beads and the, you know, the history and the story of Shiva and the tears. And then, you know, to the actual like design and faces, you know, the natural pattern of them and how they evolve because they are a seed. So how they grow, you know, even, you know, with the amount of faces they have on them, it's all so intentional. And I love how every part of it has meaning and and there's and there's something of value there that can contribute to how we wear it, to how we perceive it, to how we, you know, feel connected. Yes, absolutely. It's such a beautiful science in a way. Yeah, I mean, it it is it is a science in its own way. Well, we're gonna take a short break, and then we're gonna come back and talk a little bit more to Selma. Here we go. All right, little humans, we'll get back to the show in just a second. I wanted to tell you guys a little bit about Camp Clarity. We actually work with Omer Draksha and we do a mala making workshop with them. So every woman gets to put their own intention and pick out the gemstones and crystals that they want to put into their mala and set that intention and then wear it with them at all times, which is really cool. Wear it in meditation or just hang it up on your altar wherever you feel called. And Camp Clarity is an incredible week. This is just one of the things that we do. And Soma is such an inspiration. I was like, I have to have her on the show. But we do a Balinese cooking class in a local village. We go to sacred water temples and get cleansed. And we do workshops with some of the best somatic body experts, coaches, trauma transformers, and more in a luxury villa, epic gourmet food. It is a week to change your life pretty epic stuff. So if you're feeling the call, we have some upcoming dates in October of 2019 and some upcoming dates in 2020 as well. You can see everything on Join Camp Clarity. That's J-O-I-N-C-A-M-P-C-L-A-R-I-T-Y.com. And back to the show. All right, little humans, we are back with Soma Temple pioneer of the Mala Revolution, founder of Omer Draksha and Bali Malas. Welcome back, Soma. And before the break, we talked about, we talked about a lot. We talked about your journey, how you moved from the United States to Bali, how you had this awakening and went to India and met your guru, Papaji, and he divinely guided you to create Omer Drakshas. We talked about malas and all of the nuances and intention and meaning of every part of malas, which, I mean, it looks like a simple necklace, but it's really not. <laughs> um, so welcome back. Thank you. And Wonderful to be here. Yes. It's definitely not just a necklace. It's one of our taglines. It's more than just a necklace. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and we were talking about this during the break. The mala, actually Soma gave me a mala about three years ago, and it actually turned out to have so much more meaning later because of the stone and the color and the practice that I have now. So that's been incredible. And it's, you know, sometimes you just say yes. And it was just one of those things where, um, yeah, just the universe aligns. And so, Soma, what are you up to next coming back? I know that you're talking about joining a lot of the Mala community together. 
Yes, we've noticed that, you know, now since malas and also Rudraksha beads have made an impact in the world and people are wearing them more and more, we have more and more people making malas and selling them to the world, which is a wonderful thing because we really believe our mission at Om Rudraksha is for everyone in the world to be wearing Rudraksha beads. So for us, we love that there's so many other people making Rudraksha beads and malas and bringing them to the, all of their own countries and worlds. But what we've discovered is that there's some people that really understand what they're dealing with, which is beautiful, and they treat them with respect and uh, everyone else. Then there's people that just see it as a pure business opportunity that may not work in an ethical way. And so what we're trying to do is to unite all the mala makers together that are working in a really way of honoring the Rudraksha beads and honoring the malas themselves through fair trade, how they treat their employees, uh, many aspects of it that they're ethical, moral in the way that they deal with the people, the world, their employees, and all these kind of things. So we're trying to unite us all together rather than compete with each other and to be united and to create a platform where we can all work in a safe environment and know that these companies are trustworthy and are really trying to be the change that they want to see in the world. It is not just a commercial venture, which is fine. We all need to make money. We need to live in this world, but we can do it in an ethical, moral, and supportive way that honors every person's journey. And so that's exciting for me because generally... In business, you don't unite with your competitors. Yeah. And I want to look at the whole thing from a new paradigm. And if mala makers can't rise and be in the new paradigm, then, yeah, I worry for the rest of the world. <laughs> so we need to be that change that we see. And since we're dealing with sacred objects and objects that have a deeper meaning, that I just thought it's a wonderful thing to unite us together so people see we're not competing, it's not dog-eat-dog, that we really support each other and we become a clan and a family of we're providing the world with sacred objects that they can wear, that can empower them in their own lives in the world. And so this is very exciting to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it also really embodies Trihita Karna, which is the Balinese balance of having you know, being at peace with ourselves, being at peace with others, being at peace with nature, being at peace with God, you know, we don't have to be competitive. And when your mission is really that everyone in the world should wear a mala and feel that peaceful, you know that your company, you know, as as much as you guys are like the preeminent company in the world who's bringing malas to the West, you know that you can't make malas for everybody in the world. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's so inspiring because you know, you guys are really one of the larger companies. You are the preeminent, you know, mala making company in my mind. So for you guys to to set the standard in that way, coming from that place of leadership and community is so such a great example to set for the industry itself. Yeah, that's what we felt that it was time. It's hitting a level that we need to retain that sacredness and to yeah, keep the integrity with it of what we're really trying to do and to, yeah, just empower people mm-hmm. that there's abundance enough for everybody. And if we support each other, you know, it's it just is 
yeah, it's the new paradigm. And I just love this. I love to just empower other people that are doing something similar to us and not be um, too protective. Oh, that's my idea. I mean, it's a mala. I mean, I didn't invent the mala. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like saying, you know, it's it's like saying you invented yoga. It's the same thing. It's an ancient, exactly. it's an ancient practice. It's an ancient object. It's an ancient ritual that we feel blessed to be able to share with the world. Absolutely. And yeah, to just bring that back to the world, you know, as a gift is. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, and I love that you're so creative with it, you know, and I think a lot of what you do seems to be guided in that way. Um, and I wanted to ask you, it's a little bit unrelated, but do you have, um, in terms of your spiritual practice, I'm assuming that it, it, it's a little bit related to Papaji and that you meditate and, and do yoga. Um, but I want, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that and if you have any creative pursuits. I'm a little bit of a undisciplined person and I've been doing yoga for 45 years, but never consistently. Like, I don't just do it every single day. I also rarely meditate every single day. I've done this in my past, and and then I go off that track. What I do every day is try to make my life itself a meditation. Mm. That every step I take in this earth, every person I meet, that I want to share who I am with that person, that they can just... Um, feel that vibe and that love like to love every single person that comes in my path even if I don't really like them when I see them if I don't put give them love then I'm carrying that weird feeling in my heart and so even if there's people that maybe rub me the wrong way or I try to just approach them all with love from my heart and that's really my practice is to just be who yeah. I am in all its fullness. And yes, I do yoga. And yes, I do meditation. And I do actually every morning, funny enough, the one that um, I do the most is meditation and mantras that I learned from a, the high Balinese priest that I studied with for 11 years here. And so I did study with him learning a Balinese version of a Shiva, it's called uh, Shiva Taksu meditation mm. and it involved pranayama yoga asanas which are the movements mm -hmm. and so meditation and mantras Hindu mantras and it was a long course I did it for 11 years with him and that is the one that every day I do some of that some version of that not the whole practice every day but I do a little bit of that every day, saying mantras. For me, mantras are one of the most powerful things we can do. And I find myself holding my malas, often repeating mantras just to myself. As I'm driving the car, as I'm stuck in traffic, I'm, you know, even writing emails. I just, they, they kind of naturally start to go over and over and over in my head. And I love that. It's just become a way of life as opposed to an actual practice itself. And if I do practice yoga, I practice kundalini yoga these days. That's the one that really grabbed me. It just keeps me centered. It feels like it keeps everything flowing in the chakras. And it just helps me be, stay really balanced in my life. And so that's yeah, the practice that I would use the most, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And mantras are a really big practice. 
For those of you listening, a couple of the things that Soma said. So Taksu is the Balinese word for soul, I believe. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, and and mantras are um, mantras are it's uh, mantras are like a saying or a, a specific um, a specific phrase. Right. Whether it's about abundance or whether it's about a specific attribute that you're calling in or whether it's about a feeling like peace or balance that you want to have and a lot of the time they're associated with Hindu deities that represent those qualities and sometimes they're just about the qualities themselves but it's really mantra practice is a really beautiful thing to have in your life so that's fantastic um yeah exciting times and um, we do have Om Raksha at Camp Clarity, we make malas, which is really exciting and such a beautiful thing for us in the way that we cultivate the week. But you guys also have mala making at Yoga Barn now. Yes, we have. uh, It came to us at the Bali Spirit Festival. Well, I did it a few times for a couple of yoga retreats and actually astrology retreats, funny enough. Yeah, Sandy and Alex. Yeah, exactly. From Intention Beads. And so that was really beautiful. And it gave me the idea how much everyone loves to really make their own mala and how important it is to them. So what we do is we do mala making workshops once a week at the Bali Spirit at the Bali Spirit at the Yoga Barn mm-hmm. in Ubu. And it's amazing how to watch these people. We give a little bit of a talk about the Rudraksha beads. We have stones there for them to use. We have them use a, a certain number of stone beads and then Rudraksha beads. We teach them how to string them up and then when they're done we actually have a priest that comes and he activates them for you and does mantras on them and and prays and puts holy water and then puts them on your head and it just touches people so much and i love sharing this it's like i just see people when they walk in and when they leave the their the difference on their faces is phenomenal so we do that a lot we also will go to any private um, yoga retreat and Mm -hmm. teach the people at the yoga retreat, do a half a day of mala making workshop or a couple of hours. We do this quite a lot at this point, and we have a team that is set out to just do that around Bali and different places. And soon we'll be offering your own mala making kit online. Oh, great. Yeah, it's and it's absolutely true. You know, the things that we make have so much more intention that we're able to put in them. I'm wearing both of the Omradraksha malas I have are so special. One that you gave to me years ago at Bali Spirit Festival, which we've talked about before on the podcast, Bali Spirit Fest is great. Um, and then the one that we made at Camp Clarity and they're both they both have so much meaning and energy. But I think when we make it ourselves, the moment, you know, of sitting there with the women that we connected and grew and learned so much with over a week, you know, as the sun's coming in, reciting Shiva, it was just beautiful. And I think it's also about keeping that beautiful experience and that connection with oneself. When you make the mala, when you wear it, you're reminded of that. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Spectacular. Yeah. It's exciting to empower people. Absolutely. are. Yeah. We all have such beauty insides and we forget and we need these reminders sometimes. And I find the mala making course is one thing that does do that for people. Absolutely. It's so special and unique. Well, someone, thank you again for coming on Stay Wild. I love it. We have to stay wild. It's it. Uh, 
what keeps the earth turning. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you again. And we'll have all of Omradraksha and Bali Mala links and um, all of those goodies in the show notes. You can find them on Instagram, all the social media links. So thank you again so much. I'm so happy you were on the show. You're welcome. And thank you so much for thinking of me and sharing our message and mission. I appreciate it. We appreciate it. Absolutely. That's our show for today. Big thanks to Soma Temple for coming on the show, founder of Omudraksha, Bali Mala, and just pioneer of bringing something so special and spiritual into the world and spreading it in the West. Such an honor to have you on the show. As usual, today's episode is brought to you by me, Norma Jean, singer, songwriter, daily doodler, podcaster, and founder of Camp Clarity Transformational Women's Retreat. You can find out all the details for Camp Clarity at joincampclarity.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-A-M-P-C-L-A-R-I-T-Y.com. And as usual, if you're liking the show and you're feeling the stay wild spirit, write us a review on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. And we really, really appreciate it. You can hit follow on SoundCloud. And you can hit follow on Spotify. We're now on Spotify there as well. And we just appreciate any share, any tag on Instagram. On Instagram, we're at Stay Wild Podcast. Any review that you write us. So we hope that you enjoy the show as much as I love making it. And you enjoy the guests and all of the people from Bali and all over the world that we, whose stories we get to share. And a little bit of that magic that we get to bring to you today. Until next time, little humans, stay wild. Stay wild.